Morning. That's when you get to talk back. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, He is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And His name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world. He is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home believe in Jesus Christ. We are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person not a thing, not a concept. And just as we would do with any person we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of his word. You can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is his exact thinking. What is your attitude toward the Lord? What is your attitude toward the Lord? He created you. What's your attitude toward him? For most people, their attitude is described well in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 5, which says, The Lord Jesus Christ was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of much suffering, and he was well acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Isaiah 53, 4. He himself bore the suffering which was due to us, And our suffering he bore in his own body on the cross. Yet we ourselves enjoyed his suffering, this one whose beatings and afflictions were allowed by God the Father. Isaiah 53, 5. And the Lord Jesus Christ was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the suffering to provide our well-being fell upon him. And by his afflictions... We were healed. Yes, we are very much like the people in the time of Israel, and we just don't esteem the Lord. You know, we have a lot of things that we worship. We worship video games. We worship friendships. We worship a lot of stuff. But when it comes time to making time for the Lord, it's kind of funny how everything always seems to creep into that time. When it's time to concentrate on the Lord, it's pretty funny how our attention span becomes about two, two seconds. But when we're paying attention to a video game or electronic devices, our attention is just riveted. You know, and I, you know, as I walk through the airport, I see people with their electronic devices just riveted to them. Just, and I, I just wish sometimes that 
that same amount of concentration would be dedicated to the Lord. Because here's what I don't think we do as human beings. I don't think that as human beings we evaluate whether or not the things that we're doing have the intended effect. See, what is, so average person spends six hours a day staring at their phone. All right, what's the effect of that? It teaches you not to concentrate. And so now when it's time to concentrate on something meaningful, like students concentrating on their, on their studies or coming to, to church to hear the word of God so that you know the mind of this God so that when you meet him for the first time, as we all are, that won't be the first time you get to know him. You know, the effect is really interesting. What's the effect when you don't study the Word of God in a week? I know exactly what the effect is. What the effect is, is you're all over the place. What the effect is, is the, the things that the world is telling you get you down. And when you find out, for example, that your partner has cancer and is going through a, the first chemo treatment, and you know what's going to happen on the first chemo treatment. All your hair is going to fall out and you'll be puking all week. I wonder what video games do for you then. I wonder what the electronic device, the phone, does for you then. I'll tell you what it does for you then. It doesn't do jack. But then where do you go? When your attitude gets sour. When somebody that you're in a relationship with is being divisive towards you or is yelling at you or is mistreating you, do video games and electronic devices help you then? Do you go to your electronic device and say, how do I handle a conflict with a person that I love? But every week for two hours right here in Bra Ministries, we are communicating things that will give you mental serenity when you're encountering these difficult things. And we are so cavalier with God. Oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, nowhere in my Bible do I see it saying that. We're so cavalier with this stuff. And as, as I get older, the world becomes sillier to me. The stuff that I see going on in the world becomes silly to me. You know, we're, we're, as soon as I land, you know, everybody's got their phone out, you know, because they've been off the Internet for about, you know, three hours. They got to get in there and then flip through Facebook to see what stupid comment about our president somebody made. What about if we had that same attention toward the word of God? What if we spent six hours a day studying the word of God? What would our souls be like? I'll tell you what they would be like. They would be refreshed. They would be full. They would be amazing. The best time we spend every week is the time we invest in getting to know him and his word. The time when we make him exactly what he is, our number one priority. How does it look in your life when the Lord is your number one priority? Barah Ministries makes a difference by teaching the Word of God from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective and not from man's perspective. We try to turn God into a person like us. He is not like us. We search the Scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person and to learn what our God has to say about himself, about his plan for all mankind, and about his personal plan for each one of us. 
We are here to learn how to see our lives from his perspective. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord stands for unity, not division. The Lord stands for unity and not division. I remember a television commercial from my youth, back when commercials were commercials, when they were really good. And this was the commercial. My dog's bigger than your dog. My dog's faster than yours. My dog's shinier because he gets kennel ration. My dog's better than yours. And these are little kids singing, right? And it's the cutest commercial. And if you want to see it, it's on YouTube, by the way. It's really cute. Prettier, smarter, bigger, better, cooler, richer, taller. These are the things that the enemy of God, Satan, sows into the hearts of men that we would consider ourselves superior to others for any number of reasons. And for the first four chapters of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which we're concluding today, he has been addressing the rivalries that come about as a result of this puerile mindset, childlike mindset. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I, you know, it's, <laughs> some, of my, some of my friends have had kids recently, and they're already preparing their kids for the SAT. It's like, SAT? Your kid can't talk. You getting ready for the SAT? Why? Because my kid's got to be better than yours. Not, my kid is on a unique journey that is all his own, and my job is simply to guide them down a path and let them help, help them to find their own way, to help them to find their own voice in the world. So, in today's lesson, we're going to hear Paul's closing remarks on this passage that we've been studying for over 20 hours. And the question I have for you is, who do you feel superior to? When you walk down the street and you see somebody homeless standing with a sign saying, we'll work for food. I saw a lady standing outside of the Santan area the other day. And you could just look in her face and see the pain she was in. And the sign said, you know, I have two kids. I don't have any money. Can you please help me? And you could just see the pain in her face. You know, when you look at a person like that, do you feel uh, superior to them? Because it's easy to do that. Or do you reach out and help? So we're going to hear Paul's closing remarks on this passage that we've been reflecting on. Who are the people that you look down on? And what rivalries are manifesting themselves in your life as a result of this poisonous mindset? Disunity and rivalries are a poisonous mindset that infect the whole being. Well, today we'll continue our study of rivalries and divisions. And we'll conclude the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians. All right, let's listen to some music. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle John, an eyewitness to the Lord's glory, describes our Lord beautifully. He says, this is the message we have heard directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard that because he's an apostle. This is the message we have heard directly from the Lord Jesus Christ and announced to you believers in Christ, that God is light and in him, There is no darkness at all. In the darkest periods of our lives, it's nice to know that Psalm 46, verse 1 is absolutely true. God is our shelter and our strength, a very present help 
in times of trouble. The group Need to Breathe captures these ideas in their song, Brother. Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, we have overwhelming gratitude for you. Thank you for always being there for us as the perfect orchestrator of our lives. We know that you work all things together for our good, 
and all tri- the tribulations that befall us is part of your grand plan to lead us to the highest and best that you have to offer. Thank you for bringing out the best in your believers. Open our hearts to the truth that you want us to hear in this message today. Help us have a positive attitude toward the truth and toward feedback. Help us to not feel guilty when we get feedback. Help us to know how important it is to us when we make time for you. And show us how to make you and your word number one in our lives. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's lesson, the Lord stands for unity and not division. The Lord stands for unity and not division. And whenever we study something in the Bible, it's just kind of funny how whatever that is we're studying starts to come to the forefront in our life. That if we're studying unity and division, we start to see with our spiritual eyes all the places where there is unity and division in relationships. I was thinking a lot about black people this week. I don't know whether you guys know this or not, but I happen to be black. Yeah, I, I know you didn't know that. You know, I, I, they certainly didn't know that in my neighborhood that I grew up in because they used to always tell me, man, you talk like a white boy. And I always kind of resented that because I don't know what it is, how it is that white boys talk. I just thought you were supposed to speak English and that, you know, having, hey, man, like, this kills me. Athletes are being interviewed by a woman, and the woman will say, so you won the three-point contest. What do you think about that? Man, I, I just really, like, man, I, I, I just was blown away, man. This is a woman you're talking to. So all that stuff that just was never appealing to me. But I was thinking about black people and how we allow, we as black people, allow the world to attach labels to us. We allow the world to call us minorities. And whether the label is nigger, which had it in its origin nothing to do with blackness or color. And by the way, I don't say the N-word because I'm not politically correct. Nigger. I love that word. Whether it's the label nigger or whether it's coon or jigaboo or spade or spear chucker or my least favorite, African-American, a term designed to devalue the fact that we are simply American as black people, A (laughs) a term designed to rob black people of their heritage as builders of America and the American dream, any of these terms that have been connected to black people, we have allowed ourselves to be denigrated by accepting them and attaching these terms to ourselves. We believe what the world thinks about us. We believe we are minorities. We believe that we are inferior. And the world can't fix that problem. I don't think you heard me. The world can't fix that problem. First of all, the world's not interested in fixing the problem because it's always better if there are social distinctions. If I'm up here, there's got to be somebody down here. See? And only black people, one person at a time, can fix this problem. I have rejected that notion from day one. And just to, to put a fine point on it, all of the people in my family are lighter than me. 
there are only four of us that have this dark complexion. Most of them, if you saw them on the street, you would think they were white. And they think they're better than me in my own family. They have good hair. Well, I have no hair. I don't know what happened to my hair. Somebody, I, I went to sleep one night. It was there. And then I got to the next day. It was gone. It was kidnapped. I don't know what happened. But I was in Chicago this week, and I was with one of my cousins. He's my favorite cousin. My two favorite cousins, one of them, Darnell, died at 29 years old. Gorgeous girl, but looked albino with blue eyes and blonde hair. And then my cousin Harold, over the years, he's kind of faded, but he's real light-skinned. So you would think he was white if you saw him. But he's my favorite cousin, and he was the only one in the family. These two were the only one in the family that even accepted me as uh, a, a person. And I had a humongous family because my mom was one of 18 kids. So it's just funny. But I, so, so I got a lot of practice at rejecting this whole idea of one person's better than another from the very start of my life. Mexicans have the same issue. Mexicans think of themselves as inferior. Now, this country couldn't run without Mexican people because they will work. Americans don't want to work. But Mexicans come here and they work. And so the Mexicans and the blacks, we're fighting for the bottom rung. Amen? Why? Because we let people do that to us. Why am I telling you this? The church in Corinth, first century Corinth, was dealing with the same problem that we deal with today. Some people in the church elevated themselves to the status of superior because they made more money than the other people in the church or because they had better friends than other people in the church. You know, if you live in Mesa, that's ghetto. But if you live in Scottsdale, then you're somehow special. This is happening today, and it was happening in the first century church. And so this is what Paul is dealing with, because there were some people in the Corinthian church that were making other people in the Corinthian church feel inferior. So in a very long passage, which extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, the Apostle Paul has been addressing the issue of superiority and inferiority uh, in this letter. The passage began this way when we started it about 10 lessons ago or 12 lessons ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, Now I, Paul, exhort you, fellow believers in Christ. I'm begging you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get higher than that. That you all agree. Stop disagreeing, stop the dissensions, stop the rivalries, and that there be no rivalries among you. Instead, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same purpose. I was in uh, Nordstrom's this week, and this lady and her husband or boyfriend were together, and she's just giving it to him. She's in his ear, and she's just chewing his ear off, and she is upset. And I don't think what she was upset about, just from observing it, had anything to do with him. It was just she was upset and he was the target. How often do you have that happen in your life? How often do you just get upset about something and then pick some whipping boy that you could kick around, uh, kick the can? 
as opposed to getting a hold of yourself and saying, you know, it's not okay to treat people like that. Do you ever look at how you treat other people? You know, there, there are some social skills that we need to have. We got a lot of young people here today. Do you, young people, when you're greeting somebody, do you give them a web to web handshake, a firm handshake, and say hello? And can you look them in the eye? Or because I see you staring at these, do you give people? the same attention and respect that you give these. No, no, no. And what does that mean? You're going to have to teach, if you have kids later in your life, you're going to have to teach them something. What are you going to teach them? You're going to teach them how to be impersonal? Or are you going to teach them how to treat people? And you'd be shocked when they aren't treating people well. They're watching you. You're a video game to them. They're watching you, and they're imitating how you treat people. That's what we're going to be talking about in the passage today, 1 Corinthians 1.11. For I, Paul, have been informed concerning you, my brethren in the church at Corinth, my other believers in Christ in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. You are fighting. 1 Corinthians 1.12. Now, what I, Paul, mean by this is that each one of you is saying, I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, who is Simon Peter. I belong to Christ. In other words, my teacher's better than your teacher. My teacher's better than yours. You know, people who come into Barah Ministries, you know, they, they come into Barah Ministries and they look around and they say, well, hey, there aren't many people here. You know why there aren't many people in Barah Ministries? Because people don't want church where you come to learn Bible study. They want entertainment. They're bored instantly here. Because we're talking about this. We're talking about the thing that matters to your eternal future. We're talking about the 27 chapters that you're responsible for as a human being called the New Testament. That's what we're talking about. And we got notes. And we expect you to take notes. And we expect you to pay attention. And we expect you to write. We're not entertaining you. You know, sometimes I'm funny. Amen? Amen. Shut up. Amen. I just asked amen. Say it. That's right. Sometimes I'm funny, and that's really good. You know, and I could be, I could go down to the Tempe Improv and make a lot more money down there than I'm making up in here. Amen? (laughs) In six minutes. Six minutes instead of two hours. (laughs) I'm funny. No, I'm funny. So... I am funny. I don't care. June, you have no sense of humor. I'm not going to judge myself based on you. A dog walks into a bar. The bartender says, what do you want to drink? No. wait. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm disturbed. No, you disturbed me. A baby seal. <laughs> a baby seal walks into a bar. The bartender says, "What do you want to drink?" He said, "Anything but Canadian Club." <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, baby seals get hit by can- oh. Canadians with a club. Yeah, see, that is not the joke. <laughs> it's you know, the intelligence level of the people who are receiving the joke. All right, the dog walks into a bar limping. Dog walks into a bar limping and crying. The bartender says, what's wrong? And the dog says, somebody shot my paw. Yeah, you guys. I don't even. I can't help it. All right. First Corinthians one thirteen. So has Christ been divided into parts? No, there's one Christ. He's not divided into parts. Right? But people don't want to come to Barah Ministries because they're not, you know, this isn't a, 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 a dating scene. This isn't a singles bar. It's not a concert. It's a place where you study the word. And no matter where people go, they'll find a way to turn it into rivalries. Well, Paul is sarcastic and biting for most of this passage. And he addresses these believers who are legends in their own mind. Now, he's trying to be nice to them. His letter is intended as discipline. And what is discipline? It's training and a character pattern. If somebody's going to behave a certain way, they need to be disciplined. And what does that mean? They need to be taught a character pattern. A character pattern that they can repeat over and over again. You know, when I talk to you about your finances and I say, every time you get a check, take 10% of it, put it in an untouchable savings account. What is that? It's training in a character pattern. Do you do it? No, you're not going to do it. And then you're scratching your head when you you get old. I'm going to be 65 in, in April, and now it's time to get Social Security and Medicare. And what they don't tell you is they're going to tax you your whole life And then when you get 65, they're expecting you to stop working and live on $36,000 a year, which they are going to tax, and then pay 300 of that a month for your health care, which you already paid for, but now they're charging you again. And so you can be asleep between now and the time you're 65. You don't have to pay attention to this stupid stuff that the pastor says about saving money, but if you get to 65 and you don't have any savings, you're going to be in trouble. And I don't know if you know anything about math or not, but Social Security will not exist in 10 years. And it's math. Math. Oh, the the government would never let that happen. Seriously? The government is trillions of dollars in debt. I don't understand it how it is that a government that has some of the finest financial minds in the history of mankind can't figure out a way to get out of debt. You would have to determine that they were interested in staying in debt. See, this is the life we live. Who's telling you this? You want to turn off Fox News and get them to tell you that you should be saving 10% of your money in an untouchable savings account? No. Are you going to get on, on CNN and have them tell you that 25% interest on your credit cards used to be called usury. And it was illegal. And now it's not. And so not only do you get to pay 2% a month, I will loan you money for 2% a month if you promise to pay it back. If you can't pay it back, you give me one of your kids. Amen? So I can raise them. I got somebody to take my garbage out. 
2% a month, plus, if you're late, $35 late charge. That's unconscionable. You thinking about that? That's what we're talking about. So, discipline. Paul's letter is is intended to discipline the church of Corinth, to teach them how to think, to train them in a character pattern. In this last section of the passage that we're going to study today, Paul's tone changes from biting sarcasm to the compassion of one who is fathering from a distance the congregation he started. So let's listen to the last section of this passage. Next week, we're going to see the whole passage in one flow. And to, to, to be able to teach this last section, I had to go back and pull together all the things that we learned in this whole flow, and it's amazing how this all flows together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 21 say this, I, Paul, do not write these things to shame you, Corinthian believers. I'm not yelling at you to make you feel bad. People who yell at you love you. They're not trying to make you feel bad. They're trying to get you to listen, and they probably tried, figured out that you don't listen when they talk in a normal voice. I do not write these things to shame you, but I write to counsel you, my divinely loved children. What is he doing? He's just teaching them. 1 Corinthians 14, 4.15. For even if you had 10,000 tutors, and the word in Greek means boy keepers, even if you had 10,000 te- tutors, what's a boy keeper? That's somebody who walks around with a ruler, and every time you get out of line, they hit you with it. And he's saying, even if you had 10,000 of those, you would not have many fathers. Why? Because in union with Christ myself, I fathered those of you in union with Christ Jesus through the gospel message. He's saying that the people that, that boy keep you in the world are not the same as the ones who are taking care of your spiritual life by bringing you the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, I exhort you, believers in Christ in Corinth, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason, the reason to show you how to imitate a leader, I have sent you Timothy, who is my divinely loved and faithful child in union with the Lord. Timothy was Paul's protege. And he will remind you of my ways, which are the ways of one in union with Christ, not the ways of a not spirit-filled person. And Timothy will teach you the same ways and the same things I teach everywhere in every church. That's the funny thing to me about Parents teaching their children. Children typically reject what their parents are teaching. And then when they grow up, they find out that what the parents were teaching were for their benefit because they find out the hard way. They get in debt up to their ears or they, they, uh, I can't even say. 1 Corinthians 4.18. Now some of you have become arrogant, puffed up as though I were not coming to you face to face. You know, it's always easier to text message somebody something than it is to stand two inches from their nose and tell them. A lot of cowards today, they hide behind text messaging. They hide behind social media, the not-so-social media. 
and they put all their little venom out that way. But when they get face to face with you, they're shaking and sweating in their hands. First Corinthians 419, but I will come to you soon face to face if the Lord wills it and I shall find this out. Not the words of those who are arrogant and puffed up, but I'll find out the source of your power. See, people, the source of their power was human viewpoint. The source of their power was divisions and rivalries. The source of their power wasn't Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For God's kingdom is not based on talk. It's based on power, divine power. 1 Corinthians 4.21 So what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod to kick your butt? Or shall I come to you in unconditional love with a gentle spirit? You, you take your choice. The way my mom used to say that is, I don't want a humbug, but I will. When we return from our five-minute break, yay, the best part of Bible study. Woo! It is funny. When we, return, <laughs> when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll continue our study of this section of the passage, verse by verse. Five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody We're All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus
nobody but Jesus Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord stands for unity and not division. The Lord stands for unity and not division. When we give at the offering, we are bringing a part of the wealth that God has given us, and we lay it at the feet of the God who provided it. This is a perfect opportunity for us to examine our own attitude toward God by noticing where we place him in priority as we distribute the wealth he has given us. It is recommended that God be given the place he deserves, that he receives our, from our harvest the first fruits, that we give to him first and to others second. Every offering is an opportunity to communicate to God just how much you love him. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Yeah, we missed June. <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning. 
I'm Denny Goodall, and I'm proud to be a deacon for Barah Ministries, which is a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And last week, Pastor Mench referenced a, a comic legend that I think a lot, probably a lot of people didn't know, Rodney Dangerfield, when he said, Oh, get no respect, no respect. I thought a lot of people maybe didn't get that one. And it's probably true today, too. But, you know, I think pastor's funny all the time, really. I mean, but looks aren't everything. So, I mean, that's just, that's just how it is, I guess. <laughs> but last week when he said, you know, you don't get no respect, I was thinking, you know, what's, what's the equivalent of what is respect? And the first word that popped in my mind was obedience. So when somebody tells you to do something, you do it. Like your teacher, your mom, your coach, and you do it, right? And so what are some real-world examples? We have it in life every day. You know, you go into a restaurant. You're obedient to their line, right? You stand in line and wait and tell them what you need, and then they get it to you. You know, we're obedient to video games. We, we do exactly what they tell us to do. We log in. We play. We pay to play on some of the games, and we go through all the stuff we have to do there. And then Pastor brought up, you know, paying a mortgage, and that's something we have to be obedient to or signing our life away on a check. You know, and what's the difference between an amateur crook and a professional crook? The amateur says, give me all your money. The professional says, sign here. So it's one of those things where we oftentimes give away our, our freedoms and our money and be obedient to things we shouldn't be, especially when we sign on paperwork. We often don't read it all. I never did. All the mortgages I signed, just here, okay, here, okay, here. Well, we have to be obedient to that. Otherwise, they're going to take my house away. I need to pay my mortgage. I need to pay on time. I need to do all those things. And we think obedience is one of those things that's weak in our lives, and we, it seems, kind of doesn't stand for much. But one of the most powerful beings in our creatures in our, um, in our lives was obedient, and his obedience saved all of us. We can see it in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as through the one man, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. See, his, right, his obedience to the Father's plan caused him to die a criminal's death on the cross. He was obedient to the point of death. And we don't have, we're not asked to do that. You know, we're just asked to come here to church. We're asked to give a little bit of money. And giving at the offering is, is a sign of respect through obedience, showing that you can give to something that you've been asked to give because it's not just about us, it's about others having the chance to hear this message or to have the books that they need or for us to have the outreach to the veterans. And, you know, <clears throat> I think early on we felt like our impact was very little with them. But the more we missed, the more we could see that they needed us and that they liked us there. And they're a real sign of, of obedience. Those men signed their lives on a, on a line and went and fought on foreign soil to save us, a lot like Christ did. He put his life on the line for us. And so we're not asking for much, but we're just asking for you to support others so they can be aware of this, the good news about Christ. And so thank you very much.
Today's Bible lesson, the Lord stands for unity and not division. The Lord stands for unity and not division. Well, let's hear some more music. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the Lord says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Fear is an emotion that disturbs our rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 warns us, Therefore, if we believers in Christ fear anything, and we're not to fear because fear is a sin. If we believers in Christ fear anything, let us fear that while a promise remains of entering his rest, and of course it does, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. The Lord is the one on whom we can lay our burdens. Zach Williams encourages us to reject fear or to see it for what it exactly is. In his song, Fear is a liar. When he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, When he told you you're not worthy When he told you you're not loved When he told you you're not beautiful You'll never be enough Fear is a liar He will take your breath Stop you in your Fire for your love's all I fear. 
Let your fire fall and cast out all my fear Let your fire fall, your love is all I feel Let your fire fall and cast out all my fear Let your fire fall, your love is all I feel Let your fire fall and cast out all my fears Let your fire fall, your love is all I feel Today's Bible lesson, the Lord stands for unity and not division. The Lord stands for unity and not division. Let's investigate the, this section of the passage, this final section of the passage, verse by verse, beginning at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, I, Paul, do not write these things about rivalries and divisions to shame you, Corinthian believers. But I write to counsel you. Why? Because you are divinely loved children. Paul wants the believers of Corinth to change their approach to life by changing their approach to each other. He invites them to the Christian way of living. After you become a believer in Christ, you, are, you have been invited to the Christian way of life with the, with the gospel message. And after you become a believer in Christ, it's now time to... The, to join the Christian way of living, that part of our life called the sanctification life. First the salvation life, then the sanctification life, a lifestyle that does not consider partiality, a lifestyle where one person doesn't elevate himself above another person, a lifestyle where people value each other as equals. In the United States of America, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we study that in school. We hear those amazing words written by amazing men, and it goes right over our head. Paul wants the Corinthian believers to accept instruction in the matter of the rivalries and the divisions that are created when we puff ourselves up with arrogance and when we place ourselves above others. Richard Pryor was talking about black people in one of his bits. Richard Pryor, in case you don't know who he is, is one of the uh, best comedians who's ever lived. He's just an, an absolute master of his craft, and he's no longer alive, but he is the person who completely revolutionized comedy. 
And uh, one of the things he said is that black people go to court for justice. And he said, and that's just what you find when you get there. Just us. <laughs> and it was really funny. I mean, it, it, at the time, it was so such an enlightened comment. And that's what, the way his comedy was. It was just, just hits you in the head and you think, yeah, really, that's really interesting. Well, Paul does a great job in this passage of separating the doer from the deed. He does a great job of separating the doer from the deed. That's something that I think we don't do very well as people. What is somebody who separates the doer from the deed? It's somebody who distinguishes between the person and the person's actions because our actions are not us. And in Romans 7, we know that because the flesh does some actions that are not us, that are not the person. When we sin, it's the flesh that's sinning. It's not us as a person that's sinning, according to Romans chapter 7. So Paul does a great job here of separating the doer from the deed. He's talking about actions, not people. When I used to give my kids a spanking, I had a complete, completely judicial process. And at the end of it, I'd bring them over, I'd rub their butt, and I'd say, I just want you to understand something. I love you, but I don't like what you did. Separate the doer from the deed. I love you, but I don't like what you did. And a lot of times when we're critiquing kids, they can't mentally separate the doer from the deed, so they think if they did something that was unacceptable and you talk to them about it, that they're bad as a person. So you as a parent have to get really good at separating the doer from the deed. And it's really hard when you've waited to speak to them about their conduct. You've let 10 things go and you put it in a little sack and then finally you've had enough and you pull out the sack and beat them over the head with it. you got to be telling them all the time what you think about their conduct and then to reinforce what you think about them as a person. And what we think about them is we love them as a person, even though most of the time, just before we go to sleep, we're thinking about ways to kill them and get away with it. Amen? First <laughs> Corinthians 4.15, For even if you had 10,000 boy keepers, even if you had 10,000 tutors, and the, the Greek word there is very close to the word pedagogue, in English, which is somebody who is teaching a didactic, somebody who is teaching a series of things about how to behave properly. Even if you had 10,000 boy keepers, you wouldn't have many fathers. For in union with Christ myself, I fathered those of you in union with Christ Jesus through the gospel message. The best kind of father that we can have is the father who teaches us the gospel message. This is a bit more sarcasm from Paul as he is shifting to gentle speech. 1 Corinthians 4.16, so Paul says, Therefore I exhort you, I am begging you, be imitators of me. Now is Paul being arrogant? Is Paul saying, I've got it all together and you don't, so do what I do? He is not. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 illuminates what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, be imitators of me, just as I, Paul, am also an imitator of Christ. That's what we're to be as believers in Christ, imitators of Christ. Believers in Christ are not, nor will they ever be Christ-like. 
Leave it to Satan, the enemy of God, to suggest a standard to us as people that he could never live up to himself. What did he say in Isaiah 14? I will, 14, 14, I will make myself like the Most High. No, you won't. And I was thinking of a picture of this. So here is the Lord Jesus Christ standing next to you. And so if he is the Christ and you're trying to be Christ-like, are you the same? All right, so here's Christ, here's me, here's the person looking at both of us. The person who looks at me is going to go, hey, by the way, nice, pretty good that you lost 35 pounds. I think that's good. The person's going to look at Christ, and they're going to fall down on the floor. Why? There's a dramatic difference in power. What a ridiculous thought that we could ever be Christ-like. We will never be like that. Never. Impossible. So, as believers in Christ, what are we to do? We're to reflect Christ. And how do we do that? Through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, not through our own human power. As the Holy Spirit shines the fruit of the Spirit through us. Love, joy, peace toward self. Patience, kindness, goodness toward others. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in our relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 4.17, for this reason, and the reason is to show you how to imitate a leader, because he's just said, be imitators of me, I have sent you Timothy. He's on his way to Corinth, the one who is my divinely loved and faithful child in union with the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are the ways of one in union with Christ and not the ways of the non-spirit-filled person. This takes us back to the beginning of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, where he says, Brethren, I can't speak to you like I'm speaking to a spirit-filled person. I have to speak to you like I'm speaking to a non-spirit-filled person, to a baby in Christ. And Timothy will teach you the same ways and the same things that I teach everywhere in every church. That's what pastors do. We're all supposed to teach exactly the same thing. That's not what we do, but Paul and teacher were, Paul and Timothy were in lockstep. But a lot of teachers in churches all over the world are pandering to the congregation and entertaining them and not taking them into the Bible at all. And they're packing the place. 50,000 people in a church in Houston packing the place, never touching the Bible, never opening it up, all over TV, everybody, oh, he's so great. Look, I think anywhere Christ is preached, that's amazing, but our job as pastors is to take people into the Bible and to show them what the Bible says. And it's boring to people. Why is it boring? Because there will come a time when believers in Christ will not endure sound doctrine. And wanting to have their ears tickled. They'll surround themselves with teachers who feed their ears with tickling. That's not what we're to do. Paul wants the Corinthians to live the truth, not simply know the truth. Why was that important? Because this is, Corinth is near Greece. And what did the Greeks, what were they all about? The Greeks were all about knowledge, accumulating knowledge, but never using it. Just intellectualizing about knowledge. 1 Corinthians 4.18. Now some of you have become arrogant, puffed up, 
as though I were not coming to you face to face. It's always easier to talk about somebody when they're not going to be in your face in the next week. Arrogance, this puffed upness, this I'm better than you stuff is the sponsor of divisions and rivalries. And the people in Corinth were social phonies, showing a face that appears superior while an inspection of their mentality shows them filled with termites. You know, these people who are always telling you how great they are, if you look into their house, they got termites. And they don't even know they're there. See, the problem with having termites is the termites are eating away at the structure of your house, and you don't even know they're there. You know how, how, what kind of houses there are here in Phoenix? Two types of houses. Ones that have termites, and ones that are going to get them. And you know what the, well, do you even know what termites look like? You, you look at your wall, and there's a little spot on the wall, and it looks like some ashes are coming out. And what the termites have done is they've eaten a hole and bored a hole right in your drywall. And they got a lot of friends inside that wall who are eating at the foundation of the wood and the drywall in your house. And you might not even notice it unless you brought a professional to inspect it. They ate up my movie room. <laughs> termites ate up my movie room. I had to tear out all the stuff in my movie room, tear out the rug, take up the floor, and drill poison down into the foundation of the movie room. And I don't even know how much that costs. But I do know this. There ain't no termites in there now. <laughs> they got run out of town, amen? All right, but these people who think that they're better than you, they find out that they're not better than you when they go to the hospice. Because everybody's the same in the hospice. You're on your way out. You're about 48 hours away from being dead. Then let's see what your wallet does then. Let's see if your money means anything then. Let's see if the color of your skin means anything then. It doesn't mean anything. All that means anything at that point is whether you know how to get to heaven. That's my question for you. Do you know what's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? And whether you're 12 years old or 80 years old, you better know the answer to that question. What happens to you when you close your eyes in this life? Because there is one guarantee. You are going to close your eyes in this life. And you don't know when that is. Right? We had our friend Kobe Bryant, 41 years old. There's nobody who's 41 years old who thinks that they're going to die at all, but especially thinks that they're going to die in a helicopter with their 13-year-old daughter. Do you think that 13-year-old girl, when she was going to her basketball game, thought that this was the last day of her life? There's no way. There's no way she thought that. And it was over that quick. There are some serious things in life that we have to pay attention to. 1 Corinthians 4.19, but I will come to you soon, Paul says to the Corinthian believers, face to face, if the Lord wills it, and I'll find this out. Not the words of those who are arrogant, not all that crap talking that you're doing, but I'll find out the source, the real source of your power. If the source of our power is the world and not God, then we are not powerful at all. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for God's kingdom is not based on worldly talk. 
bragging, boasting about men. It goes back to what we were saying earlier in this passage. It is based on divine power, the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 4.21, so what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod to kick your butt? The rod, Psalm 23, your rod and your staff comfort me, God says. Or shall I come to you in unconditional love with a gentle spirit? Take your pick. Next week, by the way, Deacon Denny told me that you guys might not know what it means to humbug. It means to fight. It's not just the thing that, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge said, bah, humbug, you remember that. Anyway, next week we'll look at this passage on rivalries as a whole to remind ourselves of what we learned. And then we'll go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where the subjects start to change. One thing we learn for sure is that the Lord is not fond of rivalries. He placed us into unity and he wants us to live it. So let's live it. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today remind you of a very important thing. God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life, the decision for or against Christ, which is the decision that you need to make. So the closing moments of our study are for the benefit of anyone who does not have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. Well, how often do you think about eternal things? It's easy for human beings to be concerned only with the here and now, a concern with the things that busy us in our time on earth, a concern with the things that are temporary. What am I going to wear? What does my hair look like? Yeah, we know that nobody gets out of this life alive, so there are questions about what people call the afterlife, the things that happen when we die, the things eternal, not the things temporal. How often do you think about eternal things? The Bible tells us that God's enemy, Satan, is the one who deceives us into being short-sighted. Satan wants us to keep our focus on temporary things so that we don't prepare ourselves for eternal things. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns us to be of sober spirit and to be on the alert because the adversary, the devil, and Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. About 80% of the people in Christian churches today don't believe that Satan even exists. Satan busies us with things that distract us from eternal matters. He diverts our attention to meaningless things. For example, the Bible tells us how easy it is to be deceived by material wealth, a problem that pervaded the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 18 say this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, know your deeds, believers at Laodicea, that like the water in your homes, you are neither cold nor hot. They're not committed. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, wish that you were cold or hot, committed. Revelation 3.16, so because you are lukewarm, not committed, Like the water in your homes, you are neither hot nor cold. I will vomit you out of my mouth. The Lord doesn't like people who aren't committed. And notice it's committed one way or the other. You're in or you're out, but you're not 
lukewarm. The Lord is not fond of indecisiveness. He doesn't want us to be oblivious. Revelation 3.17, because you Laodicean believers say, I am rich and have become wealthy and require nothing, and you don't know that you're spiritually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. You remember that, gold, silver, precious stones, so that you may become spiritually rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves, not the black wool that gave them their material wealth, so that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I advise you to buy from me eye salve to anoint your eyes so that they may see. Material wealth often blinds us to our spiritual poverty. We think uh, only about now and not about eternity. Well, what is it that the Lord wants us to see? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one master and he will love the other master, or he'll be devoted to one master and he will despise the other master. You can't serve God and wealth. The Lord wants us to see the two ways to get to heaven. The first way to get to heaven is to be perfect like God is perfect, because God demands perfection from us. Material wealth can't buy perfection, nor does it buy a relationship with God. Are you perfect enough to get into heaven? Once we sin, we are no longer perfect, according to James chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in a single point when he breaks one law, he has become guilty of breaking the whole law. So once you realize that you're not perfect enough to get into heaven, the only other way to get into heaven is by means of God's grace, which is free of charge. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, the gospel message, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, God makes you perfect. At the moment of your salvation, the Lord imputes absolute righteousness, his perfection, to you. Accepting the Lord Jesus Christ's grace gift of eternal life saves you. And as a result of the Lord's work at the cross, the work that paid for the sins of all mankind, including yours, sin was eliminated as a barrier between you and God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 said, God the Father made Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in union with him. So if you are imperfect and if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can be made perfect by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, by asking God the Father to credit your account with real wealth spiritual wealth, his own righteousness, his own perfection. Having God's righteousness makes you spiritually wealthy. And God will honor your request when you ask for his righteousness, and you will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 36 is a warning 
He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. John 3.17, God the Father did not send God the Son to the world to judge the world, but God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's what happened. Take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. Just tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of perfection. That is the moment of eternal life for you. Now is the time to think about eternal things. Because God wants you. Real wealth happens when you decide to have a relationship with him. All right, the final song, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We believers in Christ know... God the Father causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right, June? Yo. Here's June Murphy to tell us about it in her song, God Works All Things.
Your singing is not as good as my jokes. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> ah, we got some descending votes back in the back row. All right. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for giving us a dose of reality through your word. We, we thank you for edifying our souls so that as we go out into the world this week, we can look at things with spiritual eyes. And we're so grateful, Father, that you sent your son, that you thought enough of us, that while we were sinners, you sent your son to die on a cross for us, to shed his blood, to pay for our sins, the only way to pay for sins, and that... You gave us eternal life through our believing in him. We pray that you help us as we go forward to reach out to other people in our periphery and to bring them to the word of God and to get them to understand how important it is to gather themselves together with like-minded people who can all be in agreement that your son is the savior of the entire world and that knowing him through his word is number one priority in this life. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.